0: This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramatush Ohlone land. This week, we are revisiting an episode from our archives featuring a conversation with astrologer Jessica Linedo about self compassion, astrology, and why you should never look at your crush's chart. This episode was originally recorded live with an in-person audience on March 20th, 2019. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at C-I-S-Pub Programs.
1: I would like to begin by saying hello to Jessica. Hi.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and hello to our audience here in Namaste Ha. And hello to our audience in the future on the podcast. Tonight we are in San Francisco under a full moon on our spring equinox. And I'm honored to be here in part because I believe in the collective wisdom of this room. And I believe in Jessica's mystic abilities. And I am psyched that CIAS has gathered us all here tonight. If I could have a quick show of hands, um, just anybody here who has had first-hand mystic intuitive experience that they would say helped their life. Yeah, quite a few beautiful hands. Yes, and keep your hand up if you would say that you're also currently living your very best life. Oh, some hands went up. That well, was very fascinating. This can be good. Well, Many of us have a sense of power in ourselves or in the tools that we use, and yet we still have problems and disconnections and obstacles to get through. So I'm just hoping that by the time our conversation finishes this evening, we all may have a few more insights about how to weave our mystical realities and be more activating towards our best life. yeah 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 (laughs) so i'd like to start with jessica if you could tell us a bit about your work as a psychic an astrologer a medium and how did this work begin for you um can i also just
2: quickly say thanks for coming everybody it's so nice that you're here thank you thank you thank you um so i how i came to the work is kind of like i it was always just right there for me when i was 12 my mother was so sick of hearing me talk about astrology that she bought me a book um and so i had my first book about capricorn i would read it all the time and it was cheesy and awful but (laughs) i loved it and then i went to um an alternative cgp which is um like college in quebec where i'm from and um there was an alternative. So in the alternative school, there was a psychologist, a Jungian psychologist, and he taught astrology to the little weirdo school that I went to. And uh, ooh, people liked that. And he, in fact, told me to, you know, when I was like, I'm going to become an astrologer, he was like, just go to San Francisco and study at CIS. So I came to San Francisco and I decided not to go to school because of how much I dislike school. But no, (laughs) but I'm very pleased for it to exist, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you for hosting me. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I took two semesters of astrology there, uh, beginning and intermediate, and um, there was just no, and in the interim of that, I came out of the closet as queer. um, And there was just no ambiguity. There was no like, what do I do? It was just like, oh, I just pack my backpack and go, which is what I did in 94. And I started my private practice in 95. And um, through that, I figured out that I was psychic and had mediumship abilities, but I really didn't believe in those things. Um, So it took clients being like, no, really, like this is happening um, for years before I would actually believe it um, because I'm like a crusty Capricorn. I'm like, it's not possible. You have to study. Um, So, yeah. So, so all my kind of toolkit has evolved through the course of many years of work. And um, yeah, and I'm really, I feel really lucky because I was never like, what should I do with my life until I hit my forties, but yeah. (laughs) But before then, not so much.
1: Wow, I'm so inspired that that Jungian psychologist was there and just said, yes, go do your astrology in San Francisco and thus.
2: Yeah, yeah, he sent me on my way. He was, yeah, he was another crusty Capricorn. He's like, just go study. So yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: cool. Amazing. One of the things that amazes me about your work is all the different things you do. So um, the things that I know of is that you have an app, Tiny Spark. You've got your podcast, Ghost of a Podcast, a TV show called Stargazing. Yeah, do the code. Uh, a weekly astrology column, uh, mediumship evenings plus meeting with clients individually. And I'm curious about how working with those different platforms and different technologies, different mediums, um, how they shape you as the creator and how you think they may shape the message. That's
2: really, that's an interesting question. Thank you for asking it. Um, that's, I, that's a great question. You know, I think that, that, that I, you know, like I said, like I didn't really question what I wanted to do until I hit my forties. Um, and, it was at that point where I was like, I love counseling. I've been writing my column for many years and doing the mediumship and all of that. Um, But I was feeling not bored, but a sense of restlessness. Like I wasn't challenging myself outside of this kind of like container of how I challenged myself. And so I kind of was like, what do I do wringing my hands? What do I do for a couple of years? Um, And there was no answers. And I was just like, what do I do? Um, and then opportunities started emerging and I was just like, I'm going to just say yes to all these opportunities and, um, you know, see what kind of sticks. And so I said yes to all these things and they all stuck, which is (laughs) kind (laughs) of like, okay, I guess I need better discretion or whatever, but I, I am enjoying all of these things. And I, I do a lot of writing. I'm working on a book and I have a weekly column and a monthly column. I have a couple monthly columns actually. And, um, I don't like writing that much. I, I don't want to put a bad vibe on what you're reading. I want you to love it. But, uh, you know, I like talking. I'm like a, I'm like a big mouth. So I um, I love the podcast for that reason. And it's really, um, I don't, it's not published by anyone but me. You know, it's like I get to kind of really speak to people in the way that I speak to people without any kind of consideration of, you know, the publication I'm writing for or whatever. I can just really be myself. So for me, it's been a really expansive thing, the the podcast, and it's really changed um, kind of my, my sense of, my sense of how people feel about the work, because when I'm working with people one-on-one, which is what I've done since the mid nineties, it's really just individual. But having this ability to actually like connect with people more, which is also about social media, I think, mm-hmm. um, has just been, it's been really tender and heartwarming for me and, um, surprising because all of a sudden people care about astrology. It's awesome. And people care about mediumship. It's like, I had to be very careful about who, what I'd say to who, um, up until recent years. And now all of a sudden everyone's like, I study astrology. I love dead people. So it's cool and new and yeah. 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 And
1: a different world than in the 90s. And radically how that different was. Yeah. yeah and speaking of the woo closet i was curious if um Yeah, like some folks are out of the woo closet. Some folks are hanging out by the doorframe. Some folks are deeply in and we all do as we need to do. And I just wondered, yeah, with social media, there seems maybe more opportunities for that to happen or more communities to happen if they're not next door to you. But I wondered going off that, if you have any advice or thoughts for folks who are thinking of exiting the woo closet or even speaking about astrology, maybe at their work or their school or with their families and how you might best advise them to do that or any thoughts around? Oh my
2: God. Yeah, totally. I've never been in the woo closet. I'm not a big closet. I, I love big closets, but I don't like (laughs) to be in them. Um, I love big closets. Um, but I, I'm not for the woo closet. I'm for whatever you need to do for your life. Like I moved to San Francisco, so I could be very out about what I do and I could like make my life reflect what I want it to. I think the, it's that's not the way it works for everyone and everywhere and i i really think that if you're going to come out and be like i talked to purple aliens and they're all aquariuses you have to be prepared people aren't going to always agree with you and people are going to roll their eyes or they're going to make their jokes and um and that's cool i haven't met a lot of people with fantasy football teams but if they told me they did i'd be like okay right, or whatever <laughs> you know like not everything is for everyone and i think if you can hold space for People get to be different and people don't have to agree with you Mm -hmm. and um, trying to, like, you know, bring people along to your way of seeing things, I tend to find is what gets people into trouble. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to come out of the woo closet, that not everybody wants to hear about it. And some people think it's dumb and, um, you know, and some people even find it offensive and, you know, make your choices on a kind of person by person basis. But I think people get the most like sad about it when they want others to agree with them because it's a way of getting self-validation. And I just think, you know, if you want to be woo, you got to accept that, you know, right now it's on trend. That won't last. It never has lasted. I mean, maybe it'll last, I don't know, but it usually doesn't last, you know? Um, And, you know, if this is something that is true for you and you want to make it a part of your life beyond trend, then, you know, not everyone's going to like what you have to say. And you kind of got to be like, all right, that's cool.
1: We don't agree. I know that's something I definitely needed to hear. So that's good. Yay. <laughs> yeah, Yay. Thank you. My pleasure yeah, because yeah. it can feel so personal and it can feel so yummy and we can all be so excited about those insights. Yeah. I suppose it's a bit like religion and then you wish to proselytize. But it's true, not mm-hmm. everybody has a fantasy football team and not everybody cares about the purple aliens. It's, it's true. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And in fact, one one of the things about my practice is I I work really well with, and I have many clients who are jaded pragmatists who don't like believe in anything. And I do really well with those people because I don't believe in astrology. Like I don't, I, that's not, it's not a belief system. And also my, my kind of take on all this woo for me is I'm interested in it as kind of a tool set and a resource for helping people. And so if if the way to help someone is to be like, okay, fine, it doesn't exist, but let's talk about it from the side, then that's fine with me. Like, I don't, I don't need that kind of agreement. And I think, I think sometimes we just really feel this, this passion about things and we want people to see it in the same way we do from the same vantage point. And, you know, in astrological terms, your chart is your lens and you, you have your chart and I have mine and we're not going to see things from the same vantage point. We don't have to. And, and so I think kind of accepting that is, is a road to peace and to out-woo. <laughs> and, to <Yeah>. out-woo. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: and that starts to remind me of boundaries which I imagine you see uh, clients with all manner of boundary issues. I know it's something that people talk a lot about in my life and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about boundaries. I'm obsessed with boundaries. Rocking. <laughs> I am
2: obsessed with boundaries. Um, I love talking about them and teaching them and I'm awful at them when I'm not really good at them. Um, so as, because I'm a person or whatever. Um, I, uh, I am really big on privacy I am a private person, and I am really big on respecting other people's privacy. So, I don't read charts of people who I don't have their consent, and that includes famous people. Politicians are off the table, but famous people, I don't look at their charts unless they're like you know asking me to. I don't I don't like psychic people without their permission. Um, I'm really about kind of embodying the boundaries instead of explaining the boundaries Mm
1: -hmm. sort of modeling Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah and even when other people can't tell even when it's inconvenient um and you know i think that i think that like as an energetically sensitive person which i am and i imagine that half the people here are which is part of what brought you here um it it's a practice that as soon as you come to a level of mastery of the universe is like cool, and now we'll take you out at the knees or whatever. Like you just have to keep on learning it and learning it, and um, it's just a part of of being a person is being able to be present with the duplicity of um, we are interconnected, we are all one, and also my space is my space, and you're only allowed in by invite. And it's it's in so, it's very paradoxical, but it's also just it's all kind of like a, this flowing thing, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's too woo. Well, I mean, here we are. But yeah. But yeah.
1: And part of living in 3D reality, like you say, it's all one. And we have skin, we have yeah. boundaries, we yeah. need to honor them. And so is that why you would say we should never read a crush's chart is a yes. boundary issue? Yes. Yeah. Well,
2: there's there's it's it's <laughs> like few. layers of boundaries. Okay. Yes. Um, never read a crush's chart because If you have ish with someone, if you have a crush on somebody, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're wanting to understand why they're doing what they're doing, you've already lost the thread. You've already lost the thread. Because if if I'm dating somebody and they're like not treating me the way I want to be treated or they're giving me mixed messages and I'm sticking around and I'm consenting to it and I'm trying to divine the answer, that's my chart. That's my problem. And the the work is and and the same goes with clients or family members or friends um, when we start looking at what's motivating somebody else's behavior we're not taking authority over our own choices and if somebody doesn't treat you the way you want to be treated then you need to figure out what your move is, not what is their childhood trauma that brought them to be this way, right. which is what, you know, nine out of 10 people come in for a reading about or, or write me for the podcast questions about. And it's just, it's, you're never going to find the answer because it's not your business. Um, and so, you know, when we are actually astrologers, like, so for those of us who actually like can read a birth chart or if you're working with Tarot or whatever else, if you're using your like special tools to divine your partner, then you're not having a relationship with your partner. You're having a relationship at your partner, right? Because union is about collaboration. And if I'm going behind your back to figure out what's motivating you and why, oh, because you're Mercury's in Aquarius, I get it. Like all that kind of thing. Then I'm not with you. I'm telling you who you are and I'm making, I'm making choices. And the only reason why we do that is so that we can be safe. But if you're trying to be safe at the expense of being intimate, at the expense of being whole and real, then what kind of safety is that? Do you really want that safety?
1: I don't want that safety, personally. Yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily union. It's
2: no, it's something else. that
1: projection or something else. It
2: ultimately, it, it inevitably, okay, sorry, I'll say the word properly. It inevitably brings you back to your own charts bullshit and your own childhood trauma. That's what looking at somebody else to find the answer about you does. And I will say that as, like, point final, hard statement, uh, classic Capricorn uh, act, attitude. So, yeah, that's that's what I've come to find. And so when when you are seeking answers about someone else as a way to be safe, yeah, best of luck.
1: And did you learn that in your own life first, or did you see it in clients and then realized, oh? I think it's...
2: Majority, I think it's always been my attitude, but it's majoritively been through practice. It's been through counseling people that I've learned this because it's a very smart deflection. It's It can lead to spiritual bypassing, um, disassociating, something that I've noticed through my work Um is that a lot of times when people are on a spiritual path or a healing path, what we do is we start to figure things out. And it's all very heady. And we study astrology or psychology or auras or I'm INF whatever. Not to disrespect that. That's cool. That's cool. But I'm just like, I don't know anything about it. So I'm just making letters. But, um, you know, like people get into that. And what they, what they do is they start to explain. Mm. And that's the realm of Mercury in astrology. And explanation is important and understanding is important. But when we don't move beyond the mental chakra or Mercury, when we don't do heart chakra or the moon, when we don't do emotional integration, we circle around the same stupid problems over and over again because Mercury is a damn trickster. That's its move. And so emotional integration doesn't happen through the mind. It happens through the messiness of emotional connection. And there is no way out. There is no shortcut. It's it's just how it goes. And so when we use the chart as a tool for bypassing the vulnerability of saying, why aren't you asking me about my day? Mm-hmm. And how come you, like, as soon as I tell you I'm mad about something, you shut down and leave the room? Like, until we can actually be in the muck of that with someone instead of, like, theorizing it, we're not going to move past whatever Bullshit, we're stuck at. I can say bullshit. I said it. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank
1: you. So um, this is adjacent to what we were just talking about. And it's, um, it's not of the realm of folks necessarily having their own agency. It's more of a Theoretical, maybe heady idea. But I was curious since I reckon you're probably pretty good at boundaries and, you know, working on the modeling and embodying of it, if you could give us all a consensual, magical injection of boundaries. Ooh. (laughs) You mean like
2: energetically? Yeah.
1: What would you wish to see more of in the world or um, just wish that? folks could like step into in that kind of way does that make sense yeah it does it
2: does um and my my like brain is going in like 50
1: directions about it but um
2: i think the most universal approach to boundaries because everybody has their own path and their own situations and yada yada right but the most universal thing is do not seek a specific outcome seek authenticity If your motivation is to achieve something specific, then you've already destabilized and left your center. Because you've got this idea about, you know, if so-and-so likes me, um, then they won't, then maybe they'll share a professional opportunity with me one day. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll get more followers. Or maybe, you know, they'll date me or whatever. When we have these ideas, we're projecting. And as soon as you project, you're in your mind and you're out of your body. And you cannot have boundaries from outside your body. Your body is your it's your car in this life. This is it. Like it, love it, hate it, doesn't matter. It's yours.
1: I heard breath from there. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yes. Yeah.
2: It's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. sorry, I, I I zip, but um that is that is the work. It is the work for all of us. And I think, you know, some people can best resource their boundaries through <laughs> grounding, some people through centering. You know, um, there's a way to connect with different elemental forces that is more um, self-appropriate for different people or at different times. But mm
1: -hmm. could you speak just a little bit for you, the difference between centering and grounding? Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
2: So grounding is literally about running one. And this is woo, not astrology, obviously. Right. But um, it's running one's energy energy intentionally through the body and into the earth, and then coursing that earth energy into the body, and now we have flow. We have a like, kind of an interception between these things. That's grounding. Centering is taking all your energy and bringing it into the center of your body. And if you're in a human body, it's your abdominals, your abdominal core, regardless of your proportions, that's your, that's your center, and that's, that's where you wanna bring your energy. And to center the energy, is a lot more tolerable for a lot of people. If you've got a lot of fire, a lot of air in your chart, you're going to probably have an easier time to center than to ground. Mm. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm getting on a stage and talking to people about myself, I'm going to get centered instead of grounded because I want to be flexible. Mm. That That's how I'm going to be. And so there's different ways for different moments and different natures. But the The easiest way I find, and there are many ways, um, is to say your full name out loud in your head or out loud, out loud, uh, three times. Bring your energy in. Call it in. If you've got a million names, if you've got nicknames, call it in. When I'm doing kind of energy work or psychic work, I have people say their full names and I will generally have them say their mother's maiden name because to think that... Your patrilineal name is like, your energy name is weird. Um, that's, that's patriarchy, that's not energy. So you know, all the names, bring in all the names. Um, and it, it helps because your ancestral trauma, your childhood shit is locked into your name. And then if you also have chosen names, use those obviously right you know use all the names because they're all part of kind of like the the mental part of your body right so call them in and from there do what needs to be done ground center and if you can't do that you can always connect to water which is more about connecting with flow. It's connecting with the water that is like our oceans, the water that's in the air, the kind of the fluidity and interconnectedness that is deeply psychic and emotional. And for certain people, that's going to be a lot easier than grounding. And it's okay to do one until you feel really kind of more neutral or or peaceful inside, and then practicing grounding. You know, we have this idea, if I can run a tangent, that we're like supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it one way. And there's like, I go from feeling like I'm having a panic attack and I feel like my life is falling apart to having peace and like finding a blue light. And that is just inhumane, you know, it's cruel. What What we wanna be able to do is give ourselves permission to be where we're at and then to take the next step just the next step. It doesn't have to be all the steps at once. And when we can do that, we are exhibiting healthy boundaries with ourselves, And we're not abandoning ourselves from the place of trauma or pain or turmoil that we're in. And sometimes that turmoil or pain is like, oh, my God, things are working. Oh, my God, I'm getting what I asked for. It really, it sends people off in a spiral, you know, um, because then you have something to lose. Then you have something that you have to live up to. Nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe you do, but maybe you don't, right? It's, it's complicated. So, so, you know, grounding, centering, getting connected with flow are invaluable for any kind of manifestation work.
1: I loved hearing all of that, particularly tangent land, because I do think that a lot of times we're told we should all be able to ground a certain way, we should all be able to center a certain way, and this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it that way, or if that doesn't work for you, something's wrong. Yeah, and that's not true. And it's clearly not true. Yeah, it's definitely not true. Thank you for reminding us Thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is related, I think, to the elemental work, but slightly to the side of it. Um, In your mediumship work, I've heard you name the spirits of the land and call on them. Them and and honor them acknowledge them that they are present and I was curious if you have thoughts about for us tonight how we may develop better relationship with spirits of the land where we live or where we work or where we're just traveling through that's that's a
2: great question and has a really layered answer um because a lot of times the land is in incredible turmoil um You know, this is a lovely building and I'm grateful to be here. And I don't know how the land feels about it. And I don't know how many deaths may have happened on this land, you know, hundreds of years ago. I don't know. Over time. Right. There's a lot of trauma in human history and um, and energies get stuck. And um, the land isn't always thrilled for, like, the newest tech company to, like, shoot up a building or whatever. Um, and it's not just tech. I didn't mean to single out tech, okay? But whatever. I just said it because we're in San Francisco. Okay. Um, but um, I – so one reason why one might not do it is because when you start to open up to the land, you feel the pain. You feel the sadness. And you don't know why. And then you're like, well, this is a terrible practice. I'm not going to do this. Um, and – I think it is wise to only take on what you can take on in a healthy way. And that doesn't mean don't strive to, to become more healthy so that you can take on more with time. But we're not all meant to do all the same thing. So that's my my first layer of answer is there are reasons not to do it. Um, and if you're going to panic or or be traumatized in response to the pain of the land, then you're not helping the land, Um, and so it's okay to say oh this isn't something i'm actually really great at and it's not the thing i'm going to work on now that said um to be able to differentiate between feeling your own energy your own feelings of feeling the land requires that you are centered grounded whatever requires that you're in your body and you know where you begin and end And that's where people get really messed up because it's really hard to do. And if you're like, you know, you just got off of work and then you went to your apartment and then you're going to go to a friend's house and you're going to go out to dinner, you're not super like keyed in. And there's too much energy everywhere to really be able to differentiate. So it does require getting grounded and getting present and receiving. And I'll say that that's, I think, some of the hardest work to do for us urban people Mm -hmm. is just receiving and not being like, okay, I received it, what does it mean? I received it, let me Google it. I received it, what do I do, right? Okay, so you know. Um, and so the the work is to just practice receiving without anything else. And, you know, after, you know, setting some time and, and just really receiving, taking some notes and then returning to it, making it a little bit of a practice is a great place to start. When I think that there are many... Um, many religious and spiritual practices that are really centered around working with the land. Um, and I, I can't and won't speak to that. Um, but I think that if people are wanting to attune themselves to um, the, the spirits of the building they're in or the spirits of the land, um, that, those are some maybe good places to start. Um, if you are struggling with anxiety and depression or if you're having a terrible time of boundaries, I don't recommend that work though. Just Thank to you. stay on topic. Yeah. yeah, totally,
1: totally. Yeah, no, I think it's a really useful thing to hear because it's another thing that at least I hear discussed in a way that's like, everybody should be able to do it and this is how you do it. And if you don't do it, you're not getting well passage or safe passage and these kinds of ways. But it's also just really important to me, at least, to be reminded that you have a baseline and to know and honor your own baseline so that you can even receive, never mind, interpret or have relationship from that place. Yeah,
2: and, and if I can add... I think another place that that happens a lot, or at least I hear a lot of this on social media, is this kind of, like, you should be able to connect with your ancestors. You should be able to resource your ancestors, um, that that's the right thing for everyone. And lots of people's ancestors are jerks, um, to put it lightly. I don't know. Um, you know, it's like, how do we all have trauma, but then we also all call in our ancestors? Like, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that this kind of, like this kind of this kind of like pressure to like your ancestors call them in not have boundaries with them is another thing where people lose their discretion because they want something to help and it's okay to say to your ancestors we do not share values you are a jerk, stay back. Or I love you, but don't talk to me about my love life because we do not agree or whatever. It's okay to have boundaries with our dead. And when we idealize the dead, we may think we're putting them on a pedestal in a nice way, but we do a disservice to who they are and what they have to offer us. So, and we do a disservice to ourselves really. So, so that's another one that I would say like, you know, there, there shouldn't be a baseline of like, call in all your ancestors, use, use your discretion. And if you have some ancestors that are assholes, don't call them in. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, I remember
1: being so relieved when I finally had a teacher teach me about ancestor work and go, you're only calling in the well and beneficent ancestors. Yes, that's no others need to be near you right now. Yes. So figure out how to do yeah. that. That's, yeah.
2: r- that's the work. And sometimes that means going back like generations yes. and generations. So yeah, it's, it's important.
1: How do you keep yourself well dealing with all manner of creatures and humans and spirits and pets? And yes, have you ever had like a scary experience or something where you Fuck go, yeah. yeah, 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 lots, yeah, lots, yeah, lots, please, lots. yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, and
2: I should say, I mean, I'm a neurotic stress case, and I don't socialize much. So I mean, keep myself well <laughs> I don't know, I don't leave the house, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, so I, I have had to give up things in efforts to do what I do. Um, at a certain point with my psychic work, my guys were really clear. They were like, you wanna smoke your weed? You wanna talk to people and do healing work. You got a choice. And I was really annoyed because I really liked my weed, um, and I had to let go of my weed. So that that was that was a choice I had to make, and it had repercussions in my life. You know, there's a lot of things attached to it, um, and you know, there's there are ways that I have to adjust to support the work because my work in the world is also my work on myself. For me, they're intertwined. I don't think that's true for everybody, but for me, they are, and um, I'm really disinterested in almost everything else. So so I should say it's not like, you know, I'm choosing to not have baby for envi- babies for environmental reasons. I just don't want babies. Like I don't want to act like, you know, I'm making some sort of big martyred sacrifice for my work. Yeah. I want to make this the choices I make. Yeah. So that's one answer. The other answer is every time I have something scary and unpleasant happen, it is an opportunity for me to learn boundaries more. And it's always freaking boundaries, unfortunately, um, because my experience is when we get psychic attack, when we encounter a person who is shitty to us or whatever it is, on some energy level, we must resonate with the trauma in order for it to actually hit us. Now, this is not like a blaming the victim thing. It's not, it's about, from my perspective about understanding the interconnectedness of things and understanding that there is value and merit in the most painful of experiences. And if I'm willing to look at that, then, then it helps. I remember I once got an email from somebody, uh, it was a series of emails, if I'm being honest, um, telling me, uh, how discriminatory I was towards men Um, and he was very angry Um, and he sent really bad energy at me And and it actually like had physical repercussions for me and I don't think he was like an evil genius or anything it's just that when the more sensitive one becomes the more permeable one becomes the more you know the good, the bad, and the ugly comes through. And so it was an opportunity for me to understand more about my need for boundaries with what I can't see, which is really just about being more in my body for me. Um, And because really it's just the way I think of boundaries and being embodied is it's kind of like if you have an apartment on Valencia Street in San Francisco and you leave the door unlocked, anyone can enter. And if you leave the door unlocked and you're not at home, then they can do whatever the hell they want. And so the more grounded, present, centered in the body we are, the more that we can kind of organically um, kind of like slough off other people's energies. Because sometimes, like, that guy wanted to yell at me. He didn't want to harm me, probably. Maybe, I don't know. But um, in general, I think people don't harm each other because they're like, I want to harm you. It's more because I don't want to feel bad anymore. And... So when we can kind of understand that, then then it becomes a little easier to be like, okay, so all I have to do is protect protect myself and manage myself. I don't need to explain to this person anything. I don't need to defend anything. I don't need to engage the energy. Does that make sense mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I don't know if I fully answered your question, but but – that's my answer yes, for now. Yes. No, yeah, okay, yeah. and it's
1: reminded me that um I'm wondering is this the same way for you as say spirit or energy as it is for humans? Like mm-hmm. the more I am in my own embodiment and my own authentic bounded self, then that ghost yeah. can't bother me. I don't have the permeability yeah. for it to enter. Is it, it similar it, or It is different?
2: except the the difference for me is I've I've worked really hard really only in recent years to not let dead people in my body, because the way that I organically function as a medium is they just pop into my body and then I'll be like, oh, my heart hurts. OK, so this person died of a heart attack and I'll start talking fast. And I'm like, oh, they were just like really fast talking or whatever. Like I um, they just pop in. It's the easiest, quickest way for me to get the and information. And, um, then I turned 40 and my body was like, you dumbass, don't do that. Uh, you're it's cause it's really taxing physically. Um, and so now I try to not let them in my body, but there is an element of that. Um, so it's not the same as like, you know, I'm not going to let you energetically enter my space. That's like a clearer boundary for me than if I was talking to like a lost one, loved one of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a different thing. Um, and sometimes people do get trapped. Um, generally, it's because they're scared or they're in need and not because they are have any malicious intent. I've, I mean, the spirit's
1: trapped mm-hmm, in yeah. another body or yeah, space. Like with in, or, in, yeah, like in me in or you. in
2: my space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, um, you know, I... I don't ever want to suggest that, you know, doing mediumship work or doing psychic work or counseling people is easy or chill or without risk. It is none of those things. Um, and so, you know, yes, I've definitely had the experience of people getting stuck. And in fact, the reason why I um, had to quit smoking weed. The thing that really like got me was I had these like three drunk dead guys stuck in my house for weeks, and it was awful. Like my cats were freaked out. Like it was just a really bad situation that kept me up at night. Sounds funny. It was not. Um, yeah, it was not. And it wasn't like they were trying to harm me. They were just a bunch of dead drunk guys that got
1: stuck in my house. And it's the permeability of just the cannabis in your system that allowed. That I couldn't have.
2: from uh, my perspective. The only reason why we imbibe, the only reason why we take in any substance that makes us feel different, is because we want to feel different. It's a literal only reason. Um, so whether it's meth or weed or like whatever, it's we want to change how we feel. And when the the motive is to change your feelings, then again, you've just stepped outside of center. That's the move. And I'm not mad at drug use. I'm not mad. You know, it's not It's not like I'm saying it's not possible to do good energy work or to be healthy and embodied um, and also get lit frequently. I'm saying for me, I can't. And uh, for the, you know, the I was seeing so many clients at the time also. You know, it's just like the level of work that I wanted to do. Um, I couldn't do both. So... That was that was for me. It. Yeah,
1: glad the three drunk ghost guys oh, are yeah. Me too. gone. Yeah, not, It was awful. It was really <laughs> yeah.
2: awful. It was wow. very motivating. Wow. <laughs> so <strange>.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, slightly going back to the astrology, the natal astrology work. I know that you do some medical astrology work, and I'm curious about how if folks discover. Um, you know, intergenerational traumas or medical issues through their own charts or their friends or their crushes or whatever they're looking at. How would you advise um, folks to use that information well um, and not necessarily get stuck in that threshold of condemnation or fear or pressure? It's a great question, especially because I'm a hypochondriac, which is why I'm a medical astrologer. Um, oh, I'm wow. like, how
2: can, I, how can I get ahead of it? Um, wow. So, <laughs> cool. um, so the first thing I would say is don't, unless you're a medical astrologer, never look at somebody's medical issues in their birth chart ever, is my advice, um, because there are not a lot of medical astrologers out there. There's not a lot of medical astrology books. Um, and, you know, it's... When you're dealing with somebody's health, you want to be really mindful. I would say something similar about reading trauma. Um, if you're going to read trauma, if you're going to read family trauma or inherited trauma, you better know what the hell you're talking about. If you're going to talk to your friends, so that's like my first, again, hard-ass Capricorn view on that. Um, but in terms of like actually how I work, um, I I'm really fixated on keeping it constructive and only focusing on where we have agency, and so. Sometimes the greatest agency we have is go to the goddamn doctor. You know, sometimes that's your agency. Sometimes your agency is insist that your doctor listen to you. Find one that will, you know, maybe, you know, we don't all get great health in this life. It's not we don't get love and wealth and safety always. Um, So, you know, being your own best advocate is, is a really important part of that. But there's no way around fear, There just isn't. And what we need to do is take some level of responsibility for how much we can hear in a healthy way Mm -hmm. and what we can't hear in a healthy way. And so, you know, as a practitioner, I, you know, have trained myself to be able to gauge that and hopefully I'm good at that. Um, And if you're a beginning astrologer, it's something to be really humble about, really humble about, because you can do more harm than good. I have Countless clients who come in traumatized from meetings they got or flipping one line things that people said to them. Um, and, you know, and I could say the same thing about psychological diagnoses, you know, and, and I have said the same thing about psychological diagnoses. So I think um, I think that I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I fully answered that. But but the other part I would kind of maybe throw in is inherited trauma from ancestral stuff. And medical astrology to me are the same thing, and that is because we come here in bodies, and we know, we know that um, bodies, what is handed down through the heredity, is you know, you know, if your father was diabetic, you were more likely to be diabetic, kind of thing. And so as a medical astrologer, I'm interested in, okay, so what is the spiritual lesson of the diabetes? What is it trying to teach you? What is the, what is the move here? And what can you glean from it on a spiritual level in addition to doing the work to maintain and nourish your body? Um, and when we do that, we inevitably heal ancestral trauma, inevitably, from my perspective. And you know, the more that we can accept these bodies And care for them Um, the the it's not just that we're caring for our souls by doing that it's that we are doing work that opens pathways for people who haven't been conceived yet for people who aren't born yet in our family line and you know we talk about ancestors and ancestors we're talking about other people you are somebody's ancestor And if you want to provide for them, if that's easier for you, I'm sorry, I want to look at everyone, but there's a mic. Um, uh, If that's easier for you to think about caring for others and providing for others than caring for yourself and providing for yourself, that's true story. You are someone's ancestors and you have a job. You have a job to do. Be good to you because it opens up the energy. It makes it easier for them to be good to themselves.
1: One of the pieces you said earlier, when I asked the question that's really standing out to me, Um, because I've been thinking about agency and boundary in this thing of post-getting information or post-getting some kind of news, but also what I just heard you say is maybe be aware before you go into that book that's going to give you the answer what that means in that house and that thing, or before you look up the internet furiously for the diagnoses or for the astrological thing, to have that embodiment or centering or yes. grounding so that you're even having agency before you step into that
2: I love that, yes, 100%, 100%. Yeah, if you are like panicked and looking for answers, you are engaging the trickster side of Mercury. You are not serving yourself. You are not gonna find the right answer. And I will say that kind of connected to that, the biggest thing that I've learned from my practice is that people ask the wrong question. And that my work, more than anything else, is helping people identify the question. Because when you've appropriately identified the question, you can find the answer. If you say to yourself, all I want is to be married, and that's all you want, is to be married, but actually what you want is to feel safe and loved, then you're going for the wrong thing. Marriage doesn't mean safe and loved. Hello, divorce. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. What marriage means is marriage. It's a contractual agreement. It's paying taxes together. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not a romantic, but, but that is, you know, it is a big part of what it means. But feeling safe and loved may or may not mean married, right, so when we appropriately identify our yearning, our problem, then we can come to the solution, then we can reach the object of our desire more gracefully. And it's just like what you're talking about. It's like not acting out of panic and out of like seeking an answer instead of being present and receiving the answer, receiving the resources that are available to us. Google makes lots of things available to us. Um, or if you're me, DuckDuckGo. Um, and yeah, you use that too. I love that. Um, but uh, it it's it's about being willing to connect and to receive. And you don't have to be terribly self-serious to do it. And you don't have to be like you know kumbaya my lord or whatever unless that's your thing like there's a million ways to do it it's just about finding your way that's the move it's finding your way and start wherever you, you wherever you are that's the move
1: Just want to name as a tarot reader, I so appreciate you coming back to and go, let's get a really good question because I think that can make or break a reading. And a lot of folks want to come in and they it's fair enough. I would have the same desire. I just want to know what it has to tell me. I just want to know whatever you have to tell me, Jessica. But actually, it's the sifting through to get to that precise question that can actually create that alignment, I think, so that that integration is possible mm-hmm. with the information that you receive.
2: Yeah. At this point in my practice, I, I mince no words, uh, surprising no one probably, but I'm just like, that's the wrong question. Let me tell you what we should be cool. asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I used to be more diplomatic, but now I'm just like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you why you're asking the wrong question. Um, and I think that, that, um, It's not something people think about because, again, we get fixated on seeking the answer. And um, there are many people not from like cruelty or anything wrong, but they're like, well, let me let me teach you the answer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to be taught the answer. Tell me how to do yada, yada in three five simple steps like I want to know. But the reality is um, it's usually not that simple. And also, it's always that simple. It's not complicated. And I think that, you know, again, I'm back to that paradox is we wanna make things really complicated in order for them to be deep and real. And generally, the more simple truths, the more kind of like distilled essential oil, if you will, is what we wanna get at. And at the same time, you find your perfect simple truth and it's not so simple as then you're fine. (laughs) As soon as you're fine here, the universe is like, cool. And now I shall traumatize you there. So it's like that is just, you know, that's the work. It's like very simple and very layered.
1: Yeah. With all of the good information that's available to us and or just all the information that's available to us. Um, it seems like if we don't necessarily have that embodiment or work with our own selves um and have a sense of discernment, then all the glorious mystic seeds we wish may come. Into us, and yet nothing necessarily will grow. Um, and I'm wondering if you have tips for folks that may help develop and strengthen their own intuition um, to just help them better parse out fear from intuition so that they know, oh no, this is my intuition practice. This is what it feels like when my intuition kicks in, and this is what I know I can rely on. Yeah. I
2: have I have reams of things to say about that. Um, the, the first thing, and it took me so many years to learn this, but the first thing, and this is so important, is your intuition is never fear. So if you are, you, if you hear a voice, I'm sorry, I'm like wanting to stare at everybody, sorry. Uh, if you hear a voice and it makes you scared instantly, that's not your intuition, that's your fear. The, the voice of one's intuition, everyone's intuition is neutral it is a neutral voice because your guides don't care if you learn it on the floor or you learn it in a private jet. They don't care. Your guides want you to learn it. They don't care if you learn it the hard way. It's always neutral. Now, you may hear that neutral voice of knowing and get scared. That's That's possible. But the voice itself is neutral. So if it's fear, then it's for sure not intuition. So that's like my, again, <laughs> my hard line there. Um, and in terms of connecting with intuition, again, in a way, it's in a way, it's the wrong question for most people most of the time because what they want is intuition, so they know what to do. And if you're seeking your intuition so you know what to do, then again, you're back to the problem I described before. The key is to be receiving <laughs> guidance, not to seek your guides. Your guides are right there. They're like right here. You're not getting rid of them. You're just disconnecting from them. You unplugged, but the plug's right next to you and so is, the, so is the, the, what's it, the outlet, right? It's right next to you. So the the work is to get present, grounded, centered, whatever, and to receive and to make it a practice. And if you're trying to receive conditionally, then you've lost your center. So receiving doesn't look like I receive and therefore i know it looks like i receive and i can think about it later not now okay there's some things we can multitask i love to multitask this is not one of them you know and so it's about deepening your practice of understanding what's your voice and what's the voice of your guidance or your intuition when you're like seeking an answer or like in a bind is not super easy to do. It's easier to do if you're like, my life is in turmoil. Everything sucks. I am going to wake up 15 minutes early and I'm going to spend three minutes every morning just being, not near my device, not trying to figure it out. Um, That will kind of deepen one's access in those stressful moments. You can't develop them in the stressful moments. Although sometimes those those moments yield like meteoric insight or transition. You don't wanna to have to have your house burned down for you to figure out, oh, fire is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like you wanna be able to do it in, in other moments.
1: It makes me think about creating and curating space so that you can have pause and learning to deepen into that pause. And I wonder if you would be willing to share any daily rituals or practices that you have, because I'm sure there's, I'm curious about what you may do in this way.
2: I am probably going to be a disappointment for people listening to this because I don't meditate. I don't do a lot of the things I'm like supposed to do. People may be very happy to hear that. Yeah. I don't don't meditate. (laughs) Um, I'm really bad at it. My brain is like zing, zing, zing. Like it never shuts up. Um, And so for me, my pause is literally like if I do three minutes of pause, I'm very impressed with myself. Um, I don't do great at that. I'm like, I'm a go, go, go multitasker. Um, and so in terms of the things that I do on a daily practice, honestly, coffee, I'm not going to lie to you. It might not sound like the most spiritual thing in the world, but for me, it really is like, I love coffee so much. And it's like my (laughs) indulgence. And, and it, and it really is like one of the things that I do for myself. Um, I mean, and then there is, oh gosh, let me think. I mean, I do, I do a lot of things. Um, I think probably the most like easy to communicate is I, I'm i very lucky my studio where I meet with clients and do a lot of my writing is, um, it's in my backyard and it's like there's literally a tree growing into it and breaking through the the ground. It's really cute and nice and I'm very grateful for it. Um, and I work to receive the tree and receive the ground and receive the adorable hummingbirds and weeds and all the all the things all the things and my last office was on valencian 18th and i did the same thing there and there was nothing cute but i still did the same thing there because there's still there's still nature it's just stuck under cement right so um the first thing i do is i try to receive it i of course like burn my my sage or my Palsanto or my whatever um and i I do a number of things to access my guidance. For me, because I am like a a zingy person, I like to use dice and tarot cards when I'm accessing my guidance because it gives my mind something to chew on. And um, I'd like... Having something to chew on, so so I I generally will throw cards on on just like getting a meditation for the day, and it's not to predict my day. I want to be really clear. Mm-hmm. Don't predict your day. It is a fool's errand, I may say. Mm-hmm. Instead, what is it that I meant to reflect on, return to? What is it that my guides want me to like be in? That is where you really get your value as a, as a practice for connecting with intuition and guidance. Yeah, so that's, that's that's the beginning parts, but, you know, it's like, hella, thanks. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You're <laughs> yeah.
1: right. um, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, and um, I- I'm going to open up a little can of worms, or maybe it's a big can of worms so we can choose, yeah, how big we want it to get. So I know that you work with all manner of spirit, including time. Mm-hmm. And we are living in a very particular time. I got to hear you speak to it pretty directly in this week's podcast. Mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of things going on and i think it's easy for many of us to feel caught up in chaos Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if you have anything to share with us tonight um as life affirming magical warriors Mm -hmm. how we can continue to build our strength and resiliency for the present fight but also for the future Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good question
2: um and one that i ask myself every day um and I um, am not an optimist or a positive person, and I have no faith in our government whatsoever. Um, or the faith I have is not good. Um, and and it is really easy for me to get overwhelmed by it. I, for the last few months, have felt really burnt out um, and also struggled with the burnout in kind of conjunction with a sense of responsibility um, because... Because I do have, you know, a voice and I have a platform, and so um, I always return to the same thing: is that we are having a real crisis in humanity, of our humanity, and you know, different people are going to have different ways of being able to participate, but at core, if we are motivated by preserving the dignity and humanity in others, um, and if we make sure that our actions and our attitudes are governed by that, um, then we are part of the solution. And this is a long uh, road. Unfortunately, the astrology is not worth investigating if you are easily scared. Um, It is not awesome. So, um, and you know, and I know uh, some astrologers who don't think it's as bad as I do and, you know, and I wish I was them. So, um, the, <laughs> um, but uh I think the key is to, it is very tempting to point fingers and to point fingers at terrible people and to point fingers at people who maybe aren't terrible but they're stupid or they don't know or they said it wrong or they only know about their one thing and they don't know about my thing and, I do that. We all do that. And on social media, we do it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's it keeps us trapped in the most rigid parts of Mercury. And it keeps us out of our heart. And the reason why we feel so offended is because we're scared and we're sad. And if you can allow yourself to be scared and sad, then you can have compassion, then you can have empathy. Mm-hmm. And from that place, you may say, you're an idiot. I don't want to fucking deal with you. I'm not talking to you about this. You're not listening. And that's fair. Um, or you may say, I can see a way forward for me or for, you know, this demographic of people or for a conversation with somebody who I don't see the world the same way with. So I think for me, it always comes back to emotional embodiment, emotional integrity, because, because when Pluto and Saturn meet in Capricorn, us and them thinking becomes rampant. And this idea of hierarchical thinking, like my spirituality is totally fine, but a flat earther doesn't count. I don't I don't go with them. You know, those people aren't right or whatever, right? When we start to do this kind of hierarchical thinking, then we set up standards that are okay for us versus someone else. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand that's okay if we're talking about Nazis in my book. And then on the other hand, really, is that the line? Who's calling the line? Am I calling the line? Are you calling the line? Is a Nazi calling the line? I don't know. And this is where we get into trouble. And with Uranus and Taurus, you know, I always return to the, the lesson of values. Who do we value? How do we value them? And what are we willing to do for those that we value? Mm. And this is really a daunting time. And um, it is intentionally chaotic time. And um, that chaos is draining and exhausting and it's demoralizing and it throws us off our center. And so an act of resistance is to reconnect with your center and find your pace and adjust your pace and seek the dignity and the humanity in others, in yourself, even when you said something wrong, even when you screwed up, even when you realized that you thought you were cool about something that you're not cool about. Because we're all learning really quick and we're learning a lot. And I think that's really beautiful, but when we get blamey and mean and punishing towards ourselves and towards others, then we don't actually get to integrate the growth and we get stuck. And then it becomes just blah, blah blah, which quickly becomes blame and and punishment, which is um it's not great for progressives any more than it's great for the other side, whatever the hell that means.
1: And stuck in these polarities, which I hadn't ever heard being mercury related. Mm-hmm. This is a mercury thinking kind of thinking in a period thinking. is
2: mercury. thinking is mercury. so our and and this is this is something that, like, so, anyone who studied astrology knows that Mars is the ego. Mars is like the little man symbol, and it's the ego, and it's fighting, and it's fornicating, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but my conviction, doing the work I do in the world and the time that I live in, is that Mercury is increasingly becoming our ego. Because I can say who I am and insist that I am who I am, and I could be somebody totally different because of the intranet um and so we have these mercurial tools we have we're constantly in communication we're constantly in communication and this becomes more and more of an ego issue and identity can become a smokescreen, right and that is only when it's kept in the stage of mercury when it's a theoretical thing instead of an integrated thing and so I'm on the lookout for Mercury all the time because of this. And, you know, I I like the internet, I like social media, I enjoy these things, I use these things, and I am also very um, concerned about what they're doing to us spiritually um, and whether or not we will, and when I say we, I do mean people who are progressive and motivated by resistance to like tyranny and all the things, I won't make the list. Um, I, I hope that we don't use these tools against ourselves unwittingly mm-hmm. and I think it would be it is very easy to do um, you know what's that expression comparison is the, the, the thief of joy or something like that and, and you know constantly looking at other people and thinking about other people is you know it invites you to compare and um, this is keyed into the whole question around uh, how do we maintain social justice how do we how do we stay on the path for preserving? people's wellness so I don't know again if I took it on a tangent but no yeah, thank there's you there's, I knew that yeah. was a,
1: a big old tin near the end but I wanted to yeah yeah <totally>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. um we're just in our very final moments of wrapping up our podcast interview time and I would just like to close I'm curious if there's anything that's mysterious or inspiring you these days that you could share with oh, us Oh,
2: damn what a weird good question <laughs> in uh, mysterious or inspiring me Ooh, um, I am really inspired by the work of Dia Khan. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right. They might, does anyone know if I'm saying her name right? She's no really knows, so maybe I'm saying it wrong, or maybe you don't know who she is. Um, she's she does has made a bunch of uh, documentaries. She went and um, met with. ISIS and she met with, um, white supremacists and like talked to them and interviewed them from a heart-based place. And I just learned about her work recently and, um, am really so inspired and impressed and, um, and her bravery is mysterious to me. Um, so, um, I hope I've said her name right. Um, and I'll make sure I get that proper name to you, but uh, yeah, so she's, she is. I, I've been thinking about her a lot
1: just in the past week. So, and you find her bravery mysterious and inspiring.
2: Wildly inspiring. Wildly inspiring. It is it is not a place that I would be strong enough to go. And she went there with an authentic curiosity about what was going on for these men, what motivated these men, um, what their what their thoughts and their hearts are. And she um, she is a woman of color, and um, she I mean that is just first of all just so. Freaking brave. And what's just it, it just like expands my heart. And again, is is I can't even tell you how inspiring is just that she did it from this heart-centered place. She wasn't blaming or condemning. And she, while she of course doesn't agree with them, she was able to see their own trauma patterns that brought them there. Um, and you know, I listened to a podcast in which she talked about their loneliness. And that is really being able to see the humanity in the quote enemy is how you change someone from you know your adversary your enemy to your adversary you know somebody we all are humans and we're all really struggling and um different people handle struggle different ways and I, i i'm just infinitely inspired and i i haven't like watched all her documentaries yet i have watched one and it was so intense that I had to slow it down so I I'm really inspired by her work and um yeah and that's my that's my
1: quick answer on that yeah, yeah. beautiful thank, thank you. you it's thank so you. perfect she like embodies everything we've kind of been talking yeah. about It's yeah she, like she embodies so nice.
2: everything that I am deeply motivated by and she does it with such bravery and and uh grace it just is if research her work she's amazing uh, yeah yeah thank, thank, thank you. you thank you thank you Thank you, Jessica. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramatush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about native lands, Languages and Territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle Demedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at ciispubprograms. Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.